Welcome to Shelving Cart. I'm Sarah. And I'm Teddy. And we're both librarians here to have a podcast book club with each other and all of you. On Shelving Cart, we talk about books like it's a one-hour book club meeting. So we talk about likes, dislikes, reviews, general feelings, and more. And generally completely spoil the book, so be warned. Today we will be discussing Labyrinth Lost by Zoraida Cordova. Great. Um, so I have a question for you, Sarah. Yes. What do you read when you need to get out of a reading slump? Um, I think I don't read when I need to get out of a reading slump. Like, I do something else and just know Mm. that I might not be in the right mood. Like, I find when I'm in a reading slump, I can tell because I pick up maybe like three different books and start them all and none of them sound good to me at that point in time or like I'm reading it and I'm like ugh whatever um so then I feel like I watch a lot of movies because then sometimes Mm. movies get me in the same zone as like wanting a story and then that'll kind of pique my interest into reading something related to the movie you know word Yes. Or I go to the library and pick out a book that's like so out of left field for something that I would be was like planning on reading that that usually resets my brain. I don't know. Does that make sense? No, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the reason I ask was because we talked about reading slumps. I think you were in one when we started this book. Yes. Um, yeah. So we talked about it and you were like, great, this is a great book for getting out of a reading slump. And I have also been thinking about reading slumps recently because my fiance has um, been wanting to read more, but like hasn't been able to motivate to do it. And we had to have a couple of conversations because um, I think this is a common thing that people get trapped in that I hate where they're like, reading is a moral activity and I do not read enough. Therefore I am not an ethically good person. Um, And I think it especially trips them up because I've read something like 125 books so far this year. And he's like, Oh my God, (laughs) like you're so good at reading like mama. And I'm like, dude, the vast majority of what I read is purely for entertainment value. And a lot of it is also trash. Like, I don't know how to explain. Like, I'm reading junky stuff because it's fun and it's exactly equivalent to watching TV, except I'm in the car listening to audiobooks. Yeah. Um, And so to get him out of his reading slump, I was like, well, I'm reading this vaguely smutty gay romance. Would you like me to find you one of those? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, okay, (laughs) what do you want? the theme to be and ever the jock he goes sports so i taught him how to boolean search on the philly free catalog for (laughs) gay romance sports um and found him one about um two guys it's called oh god it's something about the flood um god (laughs) I know, but it's about um, two swimmers at the Olympics. And he was like, this is great. And I was like, see, I'm telling you, reading is just television. Like, it's exactly the same. Um, And all of this is to say that, like, my tried and true for getting out of a reading slump is a vaguely porny romance book. Mm. Because it's intriguing. Yeah. You know? It gets the blood going. (laughs) 
like it's your blood going, your brain is interested. No, I think that makes sense. I would say yeah. like a thriller, oftentimes, mm, is very mm-hmm. interesting. Um, Something that gets the heart pounding a little bit. Yeah, definitely. You know. I definitely think so. I mean, what got me, I think, out of the most recent reading slump that I was in was reading a nonfiction book, mm. but like narrative nonfiction kind of like biography almost i don't know it was good it was fast-paced like nothing nothing too deep like not i'm like- making a face because i cannot imagine reading a biography to get me out of a reading slump i cannot imagine a book to put me faster into a reading slump than a biography well i was reading a book called um the lady from the black lagoon about the woman who created the monster from the black lagoon um the woman uh millicent patrick who had never gotten credit for it and i think i was really interested in that and then like sometimes the author would put in these wild details about her life in like a page and a half where so much happens where i was like oh my god what just happened like she married (laughs) she married one of the voice of the guy who voiced the original cartoon that gave us the horny wolf meme oh my god yeah but that guy tragically like committed suicide while they were still dating and in his Uh. suicide note wrote to millicent at least now you won't have to decide if i'm good enough or not <gasps> drama so okay I, yeah it was yeah like, oh i was like what like, yeah it was yeah, it yeah. was like it went from talking about the horny wolf to talking about that and it was all in two pages i was like holy what the fuck just happened <laughs> <laughs> i feel like yeah okay i can see that if it's like a good biography like okay i guess i'm suffering from a little bit of um bias wherein i am like yeah i don't want to read about fucking teddy roosevelt but i forget that they're interesting biographies yeah. you know what i mean yeah okay valid yeah. valid um yeah i want to read that we can we can read it for the podcast oh my god yes everyone get ready <laughs> it's, um, it's so good it was great great book um the author of it actually hosts another podcast mm. let, me, let me find it um Mallory O'Mara, who wrote the book, um, hosts a podcast called Reading Glasses, which is also a literary podcast. Um, So go and check out that podcast, too, because her book fucking rocked. So I have a short bio on Zareda Cordova, if we're interested in that. I'm interested. Okay. So she was born in Ecuador, and English is her second language, which I think is cool because she's written she's published like 20 books in english um she came to the u.s when she was a little kid and then grew up in hollis queens uh she attended the national book foundation's writing camps in high school which is cool and then she also went to the summer solstice writing conference at pine manor college which is very fancy um she identifies as Latina and is one of the co-founders of the Latinx in Kidlit blog, which is a website that does what it sounds like. It just highlights and features uh, Latinx writers in kids literature. Um, her debut novel, this is really interesting, was The Vicious Deep, which she wrote 
as part of National Novel Writing Month in 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, so for people who don't know, National Novel Writing Month is November every year. And NaNoWriMo. <laughs> NaNoWriMo, yes. So like it's um, essentially you commit to writing a certain number of words. I think it's like 50,000 words. Um, some people try to write like the whole novel in the month of November. Um, and the point is just that you are like committed and going for the whole month. Um and it's like a total national sensation, whatever. My boss is like obsessed with it and tries to write a novel every November. Um, so the vicious deep follows Tristan, who is a boy who gets swept away by a tidal wave and lands on Coney Island, having developed strange powers. Um, so that sounds cool. Uh, and then when we talked about Martha Wells, I think, writing for Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we talked about how that could be like a good paid opportunity for writers who need to prove their publishability. Um, and for, you know, for a hot sec, I thought maybe that's what was happening here because Cordova wrote Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, A Crash of Fate, and then also wrote short fiction for Star Wars The Clone Wars, Stories of Light and Dark. And I was like, oh, OK, like, you know, she's just getting her feet wet. No, she's actually a huge Star Wars nerd. I like went on her Instagram and she has like a whole story archive of going to cons and panels and stuff. So bless another nerd. Love that for her. Um, And she also writes like, aside from the Clone Wars short stories thing, she also writes other short stories. She contributed to Come On In, 15 stories about immigration and finding home and Toil and Trouble, 15 Tales of Women and Witchcraft, which is very cool. Oh, that sounds great. (laughs) I know. And she's also the co-editor of an anthology called Vampires Never Get Old, um, which I want to read really badly. (laughs) Um, Also, speaking of horny gay romance books, Girl After My Own Heart. She also writes romance under the pen name Zoe Castile. And her most notable series is her Magic Mike-inspired happy ending series about male strippers falling in love. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I get She's This book is horny, so I get it. I get it. Exactly. Yes. Um, she has a lot of series, both for kids and young adults and under this pen name, regular adults. She's got like 20 published books. I cannot name them all, but she is definitely prolific. And Labyrinth Lost is the first in a series and came out in 2016. Um, This one focuses and we'll get on, we'll get into this obviously much more later, but this book focuses on Alex. And the second book focuses on her sister Lula. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah, that's our girl. Amazing. Amazing. Okay. Well, I have my I have my book here. Yes. Did I get it? I don't know. I can't hear it, but it'll probably show up in the recording. Okay. So um let's see what we got. Alright. So inside the book jacket, it says Nothing says happy birthday like summoning the spirits of your dead relatives. 
Alex is a bruja, the most powerful witch in a generation, and she hates magic. At her death day celebration, Alex performs a spell to rid herself of her power, but it backfires. Her whole family vanishes into thin air, leaving her alone with Nova, a brujo boy she can't trust. A boy whose intentions are as dark as the strange markings on his skin. The only way to get her family back is to travel with Nova to Los Lagos, a land in between as dark as Limbo and as strange as Wonderland. I love the Alice in Wonderland direct comp. In I know. The blurb. Yeah, I know. But you know what? I never read book jackets. <laughs> I also don't like um, movie previews. Yeah. Like for the same reason. Like that gave a lot away. It super did. That's actually the first time I've ever read that. Yeah. just now on the air it was the first time i've ever read that and i was like what the hell you just gave away so much stuff in this book i think if you're not looking for it you might forget it like i think they're just like banking on people forgetting by the time it's important but for those of us who have like a lock away memory system like yeah that would have yeah. ruined a lot yeah. um what are the reviews on the dust jacket anything good um, we've got a brilliant brown girl in Brooklyn update on Alice in Wonderland and Dante's Inferno. Very creepy, very magical, very necessary. Daniel Jose Older, New York Times bestselling author of Shadows Shaper. Cool. Um, and then Labyrinth Lost is a magical story of love, family, and finding yourself. Enchanting from start to finish. Amy Tintera, author of Ruined. And Labyrinth Lost is pure magic. Melissa Gray, author of The Girl at Midnight. Okay. All of those were very generic, although I did love the Dante's Inferno reference. Yeah, me too. Um, that's actually quite apt. I'm not sure. I, yeah. I didn't think of that myself, but I think it's great. Yeah. Um, do you want to hear what the people have to say about... Give it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> okay, so Goodreads. Um, Emma called it Alice in Wonderland meets Percy Jackson mm. with a lot of potential. Um, yes, I can see that. I absolutely see it. And honestly, I'm a little pissed that I didn't think of Percy for um, Reader's Advisory. But um, she said it had a lot of potential due to the all POC cast. True. A bisexual Latinx main character. Yes, true. And the world building, but said that she didn't fall for any of the characters and didn't feel that they will stick with her for a long time. Um, yes, I 100% agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, I think so. Haley said something that I disagree with, which is that she goes, I just felt like the whole thing dragged. No, I don't agree with that. What book were you reading, Haley? Like, I, if there was any critique that could be leveled at this book, it was not that not a lot happened. Like, it just yeah. was very fast paced. Like, I don't know what you're talking about dragging. Um, Rose said... Yes, this is a story about witches. No, you haven't read anything like it, which I felt was too generous. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's like, <laughs> I've read, like, I mean, like, I haven't read a cast like this in young adult literature very often. Like, I think this yeah. is an important cast. The story, I've read. Yeah, I've read it. Agreed. I yeah. agree. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Um, this is just turning into me like roasting people on Goodreads, but Melanie called it a hidden gem, which I think is very funny because it's very popular. Um, <laughs> um, and then Melissa echoed Emma. She said, I liked the book. Okay. The setting was pretty cool, 
which I think is an understatement. It was a bomb setting. Um, but I didn't get too invested in the characters. I did like them, but I didn't love them to death, except for Madra. But I digress. <laughs> we'll get into Madra later, but that that was a good review for me. I really liked that. Um, bless Madra. Very, very good. Um, so, yeah, I think the people's reviews were mixed. I think the most... Uh, most selected option for stars was four. Mm. Um, it isn't like the most beloved book of our generation, but it definitely had some positive hype. And I think people are really responding to the representation and world of the book, um, yeah. which was like also my favorite part of it. Like I really thought the world building was sick as fuck and the characters themselves were sort of flat, but at least like, identity politic wise it was like so refreshing to just not read about a little white boy being the chosen one for the 800th yeah. time yeah i think it was um it's definitely a plot book not a character book yeah as yes. they say it's yes. like a plot that's why it moves so quick because you're not spending a long time like ruminating in the character's feelings unless you're me yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, we'll get into it more <laughs> great we'll get into it yeah yeah i agree i agree generally with the public with yeah. the public, I'll be on their side this time. Yeah. Sometimes they're wrong, but this time they're right. <coughs> Camp Zero. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. <laughs> okay. Well, should we just start heading right into it? Hit me with that plot, baby. Okay. Sounds good. As discussed, much happens over the course A of this happened. skinny little book. When, right. When I was reading, writing my plot summary i was like oh it's a three uh 300 page book i'm gonna write this thing so fast um but no it's kind of long it's kind of so buckle in alejandra aka alex is plagued by nightmares of her aunt rosaria's death when she awakes from her nightmares we meet her sisters rose and lula and her mom and they're all brujas Lula is determined to get Alex's powers awakened as the family moves past their fa- their father's disappearance. Lula wants Alex to have her ce- her death day ceremony, a celebration of magic and her coming of age ceremony. But Alex is keeping a secret from her family that her powers are awake and she's afraid of them. Alex, Lula, and Lula's boyfriend head off to school. Max, the boyfriend, gets into a car accident by almost hitting a boy in a hoodie. We meet Alex's best friend, Rishi, and all I gotta say is this. The right corner of her lips tugs upward, revealing a tiny dimple. The crystal of her nose ring twinkles the same brightness in her rich brown eyes. When she looks at me, I feel like she's seeing right through me, like she knows I'm hiding a big part of myself. Um, And gay... That's all I gotta say, really. That's that's not something you just say about somebody who's just your friend. No. Okay. They head to gym class, and Rishi gets hit with a volleyball. Alex conjures a snake to attack the bully that hit her with the volleyball, and she flees from school, realizing she used her magic. Lula, her mother, and everyone else realizes her magic has awakened, so death day party begins. They head to a magic store, and here we learn Alex is an encantrix, an extremely powerful version of a bruja that uses physical magic. And we also meet the guy that they almost ran over in the car earlier, and his name's Nova. 
Alex divulges to Nova that she doesn't want a death day, and he pushes her towards figuring out a way to stop it. Nova, Nova turns out to work at the bakery that will deliver treats for the death day ceremony. They get back from the store and are attacked by Amalascuro, a banished Brujo spirit turned evil who, who then was banished to Los Lagos, but they fight it off. Carmen, Alex's mom, her witch's circle comes to discuss the attack where we learn that no one knows why Aunt Rosario died. They think that the spirits in Los Lagos can feel how powerful Alex is, so they move up the death day ceremony. So it's death day party and everyone is gathered and Nova shows up. It's time to bind Alex's magic to her. During the ceremony, Alex tries to banish her magic, but instead it actually causes a portal to open up and her family to be sent to Los Lagos. Nova helps create a portal so Alex and Nova can head to save her family after only agreeing to do it for money and they go and through the rabbit hole they go. They reach the magical part of Los Lagos um, and, and Nova has a map. They begin their trek to the labyrinth of Los, Los Lagos to save Alex's family from the creature known as the Devourer who is sucking all of the power out of the magical beings nova and alex are getting too flirty for my liking (laughs) remember rishi alex remember her dimple (laughs) they first get out of this they first get out through the selva of ashes where they reach a river with a duende named oros guarding it they pay him a price to be provided crossing which is him abandoning them in a boat to get across they make it across and are looking for a cave opening and they are attacked by beasts that are some sort of saber-toothed tiger bird women come and swoop up and scoop up nova and alex and bring them to their caves and the bird women are avianas and in the caves in the cave with the avianas is rishi she jumped in after alex and nova when alex stood her up she landed with the avianas their leading leader being madra madra led attempts against the devourer that were unsuccessful also madra hates men and nova tries to steal gems from their cave which they do not like and in order to get out of trouble alex trades their freedom to heal three of the avianas she heals them through the help of lula's apparition madra gives them directions out of the cave to head to the wastelands to hide from the devourer when they head out, Nova convinces them not to go to the wastelands, but to the meadow because it looks nice, which is never good because think of the poppies in Wizard of Oz. Yeah. Um, through the meadow, they see a table laden with a feast where Adas or fairies are gathered and they entice them to eat the feast, which is enchanted. The devourer shows up as they are ensorcelled. Alex breaks through the ensorcelment and realizes they've been eating rotten food. The devourer and Alex ba- battle with the devourer leaving and Alex safe for now. She realizes that the Adas are in chains as punishment for rising up with the Avianas. Alex frees them from their chains and they lead her to the labyrinth. They head to the mountain to look for the labyrinth. They pause and Alex takes a bath and has a vision of Mama Juanita who has been trying to communicate with her but Alex has been blocking her out and then everyone sees Alex naked. (laughs) Because of course. Right. Because of course. (laughs) We learn that without a death day power will consume you and that Nova never had a death day and his power is taking him over. And then they enter the labyrinth. They're attacked by blind giants and Alex fends them off. Rishi is snatched by the devourer and placed into vines that are suffocating her and cutting her. And it is revealed that Nova has was working for the devourer and had sold them out. Boo. And the devourer threatens Rishi and makes Alex surrender her power. Alex and Rishi are trying to free her family. I'm not the encantrix everyone thought I would be. Right now I'm just a girl and there is also magic in that. Go so off. Alex says when she realizes that she can still free her family even without magic um, they move through the labyrinth determined that even without her magical powers that they will free Alex's family and in the labyrinth they run into Aunt Rosario has been trying to se- who has been sent to Los Lagos to help Alex. Aunt Rosario gives Alex her power and they set off Aunt Ro- Rosario gives Alex 
her power, Aunt Rosario's power, and they set off again, where Nova ends up helping them fight off a rogue duende. Nova reveals that he created the portal that Alex's family fell through to Los Lagos, not Alex, explaining why Nova was in the magic shop at the beginning. They get out of the labyrinth, but before they do, Alex and Rishi finally kiss... They get to the Tree of Souls, where Alex's family is to fight the final boss fight against the Devourer, but the Adas and the Avianas have joined the cause. Alex uses blood magic, freeing the Tree of Souls, and returns magic to everyone. Alex has her powers and her relatives bind her power inside of her, finally complete, completing the Death Day ceremony. They jump through the tree into the portal back to the real world, where it's only been minutes. Alex grabs Nova from Los, Los Lagos at the last minute. Everyone goes to the hospital. Alex tells Rishi she loves her, and the book ends on Nova bringing Alex's dad home so a lot happens a lot, <laughs> a lot fucking happens um a lot happens also babe i'm gonna give you props for using the word ensorcelled again <laughs> <laughs> your favorite word Trust, i put it in for you it's your favorite word <laughs> See, it, it is my favorite you, you have to count the ensorcelled count for every episode of the podcast that's so true <laughs> um it's only valid for the fantasy sci-fi season um where all the ensorceling will go um <laughs> But yeah, it'll come back. Like a lot, a lot happens. Um, woo. Yeah, woo. Um, and if you're like, man, I didn't get a feel for any of the characters' vibes. Yeah, that's so true. You super didn't, <laughs> and that's because they're not there. Um, no, uh, Nova's bre- brooding. Uh, Rishi is quirky. Yep. And Alex is the stubborn chosen one. Right, exactly. Like, those are our big three. Right. Lula is sassy, cool, older sister. Yes. Um, Rose has no personality, except that she's a psychic. Yeah. Like, she's bookish, I guess, is the... She's smart. Um, Okay, all right. On that note, let's let's go right into the characters. Great, perfect. (laughs) Okay, so I have them vaguely separated into who's in Brooklyn and who's in Los Lagos. Um... So, and to clarify, Los Lagos isn't, like, the afterlife. It's, like, a separate sphere. There's, like, um, there's the real world, and then there's sort of, like, I forget what they're called, like, fields of paradise or something, where the Dios live. And then there's Los Lagos, but that's not where you go when you die. It's just sort of, like, a separate pocket realm. Um, Okay, so in New York, we have Alejandra... Alex Mortiz and she's fucking frustrating because I and I was explaining the plot of this to someone I think it was Wynn and I was like yeah she doesn't want to be a witch and it's like yeah why <laughs> and she just like doesn't have a good enough reason she's like it comes at a cost and it's like yeah <laughs> well, I think she I think it's because she had that ma- magic that day right the day her ma- magic awakened she accidentally killed the- a cat and her her father left after that day. Right. So so I think the why is probably revealed later. Yeah, in the other but books. It, it, I don't think that's true because the second book is about Lula. Yeah. So I don't, know. I don't know. Like I just feel like okay, whatever. Like the deal is is that she doesn't want to be a witch. She's like the yeah. most powerful witch in her family in a generation. Um, in. She's the most powerful witch in her family and in generations, but she still does not want. Um, she's not even a. Okay, we should stop saying witch, maybe. She's like an encantrix, which means that she has like physical powers over the elements. Um, 
when her powers awakened, she accidentally killed her cat and she thinks her dad left because she was so evil. Like he was afraid of her or whatever. Um, and she's kind of fucking gullible. Those are like her main character traits. She's not like intensely likable or dislikable. She's just sort of there because she's a plot object. Um, we've already discussed Alex's dad left the family, um, and no one knows where he is. Um, Alex's mom, Carmen, um, sort of keeps the hope alive for a little bit. And then when he doesn't come back after two years, she's like, okay, we just, he's gone. Um, Alex also has two sisters, Rose, who is a psychic and is very bookish. Um, she like goes to a fancy private school. Um, and then she has another sister, Lula, who is sort of vain and boy focused, but can also heal people. Um, she has, we get introduced to Lula's own like circle of friends. Um, one of whom uses a constant glamour on her nose to like make it look like she's had a nose job, which I love. Like, I kind of love this vision because like, basically like there's the circle, which is sort of like the neighborhood slash family of Bruja's in Alex's life. And it's sort of sweet to envision Lula growing up and having her own circle of girly Bruja's who all get like all together and like, do mean girl shit like I kind of love that um so that's Lula and then yeah anything to add on anybody um I I was just gonna refer back to um the sacred text of the uh smart bitches trashy books website (laughs) where the, the the person reviewing it said what I struggled with was Alex's dedication to trusting Nova even after he repeatedly proved himself to be dishonest, deceitful, or incredibly stupid. She gets good advice from someone who helps her and keeps her friend safe, but Nova talks her out of following it. She doesn't question him when she should and questions him when she doesn't have a reason to. Which I feel like goes to the incredibly um, gullible parts. And then she also, the person who wrote this also said there were a whole string of oh honey moments in this book. Yeah, absolutely. And some of those can sort of be washed away with like, what is she? She's like 15, 16. Like she's baby. So like, yeah, like, oh honey. But also like, yeah, you have a mom who loves you and like a relatively like wide like not even relatively like you have an incredibly wide network of support like you've grown up very loved like and you have daddy issues it like makes sense that you're a little bit um trusting like i i get it (laughs) like whatever yeah um okay next up on the list is a rishi beloved rishi um (laughs) she is indian american and question mark gay definitely queer um she's alex's best friend and she literally jumped into a portal because she loves Alex so much. Um, she, I think this is important. She gets rescued by the Avianas because Alex stood her up. They were supposed to go to like a Halloween party. So Rishi is wearing like big ass fake wings. And so when the Avianas find her, they're like, you can be an honorary Aviana because you have honorary (laughs) wings. Um, The other thing I want to say about Rishi is that this book came out in 2016 and Rishi is a galaxy leggings girl. (laughs) Like I literally that's in the book. And I was like, Oh my God, Rishi. I love you. Like, of course, like I, I get you. I understand you like perfect. She's incredible and amazing. And we'll come back. 
to Rishi. Oh, oh, okay. Alex does call her. This is like an annoying thing that Alex calls her. I, I don't think that this is accurate, but I do think it's sweet that she has a nickname for her. She calls Rishi her little magpie. Um, yeah. Weird, unexplained, satisfactorily. Um, but at least they have pet names, so like it's fine. Um, <laughs> she likes shiny things. That's right. It yeah. It's like is. okay, yeah. sure. Um, Nova. What I wrote is bad boy little fuck with a tragic past <laughs> has never had a death day because of his abusive slash absent family. So his magic is sort of like eating him up from the inside out. And that's why he looks like he has black work tattoos. Um, it's just magic sucking him dry. Um, I think, you know, in terms of like giving someone a tragic backstory to like defend their shitty actions, it's like, this is as convincing as they come like i get it he's never belonged he had an opportunity to like gain some power in the world by like joining forces with the devourer like i get it but like because he was so unfleshed out and because there were so many times when he was obviously being annoying like where did he get the map to los lagos like why like you know what i mean like just all this shit um and it's just sort of like I'm I'm not buying it. Yeah. You know? It's giving it's giving um Jess Mariano Gilmore girl. <gasps> oh my god. What a perfect one to one comparison. That's exactly it. Like there's almost something there about like I think there's there's almost something there about the fact that Alejandra has like we've talked about like her wide community network of support, like her big yeah. family and like all these people who care about her and her coming into her powers or whatever. And like Nova is the foil to that in that there's like no, is foil the right literary word? Mm -hmm. The opposite. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. He's the foil to that in that like he has no support. Like his parents walked out on him. He was like alone on the streets for a long time. Um, he was put into um, juvenile detention where he like learned other bad things including like who the devourer was and like was you know basically like his life was worsened by the you know criminal justice system like he had a hard time and like there's almost commentary in there about like what it means to have community and like how your life can be different yeah. but then um, there just isn't and so it's a little tough in that yeah. way but I, I mean, like, at the same time, though, I guess I don't want Cordova to be like, look what happens when you have community. Like, I guess, like, maybe she's yeah, you know, giving us the building things, blocks. Things in this book were so bing, bing, bing that sometimes when you read a, a bing, bing, bing book, that when something isn't, you're like, okay, what are you Could saying Could you bing that? it? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could you bing it for me? Yeah, yeah right. So, exactly. like, there was a lot of, like, la like there was... A Thank you. You put it perfectly into words that like there was so much bing, bing, bing that the fact that this wasn't binged felt like it made it an accident. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, so whatever. Nova is annoying. Um, there's definitely some crush energy going on between him and Alejandra as well. And like, Oh, yeah, there is. There's, yeah, right. And so like there's a little bit of that like love triangle thing going on where it's like, who will she pick? Like. Pita or Gail, you know, like what's going on? Um, yeah. Rishi is Pita, obviously. Um, 
and it was very confusing to me <laughs> the love triangle but we could talk about it more i yeah i mean like now's the perfect time like talk to me about the love triangle okay you were confused i well the thing is is that like i felt frustrated because as soon as Rishi was like not in the scene, Alex was so horny for Nova, which is fair because mm. she's a teenager and also she's not in any sort of romantic entanglement with Rishi. But then it also didn't decrease when Rishi was there either. And I right. was like, I, I'm like, I guess I don't, I don't really remember all that well being 15 year old, being 15 mm-hmm. years old. And also as a self-proclaimed bisexual, I mean, I'm sure I've gone through this before. You're but accredited. I, You're an yeah. accredited bisexual. As, uh, <laughs> I'm an accredited. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I feel like I, maybe this is just a personal experience more than anything, mm-hmm. but I feel like it's like, I have a crush on somebody. It's so all encompassing. Right. You know, and I get it when, of course, when like Rishi's off the, off the page, right, so to speak, like off scene, it's like maybe then it's like, okay, I can open my thoughts up about somebody Mm -hmm. else, but it doesn't stop once they're all three of them are together. She's so horny for both of them at the same time. And like, and like, not even, I know I'm being dramatic when I keep saying the word horny, but I'm not. No, you're not. You're not. And this was a shockingly horny YA book, and I was here for it. Like, okay, I'm, it's, it's, it's time to stop pretending that teens aren't horny. Yes. Like, your young adult book should be horny. Like, I am with you, it's, but it's, this was horny in a weird way. It was it was good in, like, the sense of, like, representing without being, like, crass about the way that teens are horny, too. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was really good. But listen, this is what Alex says about about nova yeah his cheekbones are perfect his <laughs> eyes are on the green side of the spectrum now i can see myself in them okay and then yeah. looking at his naked chest no. makes me forget why we're even fighting gross gross believe me nova says softly there's nothing nothing to make fun of heat spreads from my solar plexus across my skin I and that's after the feeling she's away. naked yeah, that's after she's naked right and he's like about to betray her literally in like two pages yeah. and he's like there's nothing to be ashamed of like okay fuck off and then and then the inside of my eyelids is red hands warm and strong hold me and carry me i don't even have to look I've already memorized the way his heart beats against mine. That was the horniest line of the whole thing. And and this is, okay, and this is the other part of why I get so pissy is because, like, Rishi, like, gets a lot of, like, truly loving, like, little moments where Alejandra is like, I love Rishi. Like, Rishi, Rishi understands me in a way that no one else does, blah, blah, blah. But it's significantly less horny about Rishi. And it's like, no make it horny for Rishi too. Like if you're going to yeah. bring that energy for Nova, you need to also bring it for Rishi because she ends up with Rishi. Like just I know. Balance it a little bit. Yes. I mean, they do get to, to they do get to kiss and when they kiss it's like even in the dark she finds my lips. They're warm despite the air around us. I press my lips against hers softly and slowly like stepping into a wide unknown ocean one foot at a time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yes, but that's like one moment. And also it like, it's sweet in that, like, I love it when queer first kisses feel like a homecoming. And this sort of brought that vibe, right? That like, 
Rishi is warm in a cold place. Like, it, it's cute. Um, and, like, the vast unknown part of it, like, I get it. But I also want it to be, like, Rishi's got a cute butt. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's true. So, like, this line, it's, like, her brown skin is bathed in the starlight. Her long, dark hair is windblown and wild around her shoulders. Something in the pit of my stomach falls. And when she smiles at me, it just keeps on falling. So I I've think, got it. I mean, me too. I think yeah. I think it's that she loves Rishi and she is horned Horny up for, <laughs> for Nova. She's yeah, like, like, has like deep romantic love. Yes. Yes. For that's, Rishi. But that's the thing is like, okay, deep romantic love, like in in most cases accompanies deep romantic horniness like give me some you know what i mean like i just feel like right a lot of um a lot of the rishi stuff is like very mr darcy in it's like she's so beautiful and i have this like deep overwhelming feeling of like love for her um and the nova stuff never goes there thank god but it is like his hot body. His hot bod. And it's like, okay, we get it. He's hot. Like, he's talk more about how Rishi's hot. Yeah. I know. I know. Every, um, every time she was horned up for Nova, I just wrote boo in boo. my notes. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In my highlights, it was just boo. Thank you for bringing the textual evidence. I feel like even if you didn't make a table, you made a table in spirit. And I feel <laughs> loved for that. Um yeah. But yeah, okay. And, okay. I just, oh, it was a frustrating part of this book. I don't know why it frustrated me so much. I was like, why do I care about these teenagers? Right, right. That's the thing is like, yeah, it's like also whatever, they're teens, like they don't know. But it is like, it is just frustrating when you can identify that something feels that out of balance. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, mm. but I guess it is accurate to how a teenager is. Like, they may love somebody, but they might also just be super horned up for somebody else, too, at the same time. So true. I Teenagers mean, be fickle. Yeah. That's their whole thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's like Forever by Judy Bloom, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Where she loves somebody deeply, but then is like, but I'm actually pretty horny for this other guy. <laughs> oh, my God. What's the one where she gives a hand job? Is that Forever? I think maybe. <laughs> I don't know. That's the oh. most recent Judy Bloom book I've read. Okay, let's move into the Los Lagos people. So we have, in no particular order, Zara, the human name for the devourer. Um, so she's like the big bad of the whole book. She essentially got too big for her britches, ruined Los Lagos with greed. She feeds off of the Tree of Souls and other people's power. Um, she's a hot lady with a bone helmet somewhere in between a god and a bruja um her motivation just essentially seems to be power and greed um if she succeeds in getting powerful enough she can step into the real world or like our world um and so it's very important to stop her she's sort of like wasted los lagos as like a place to be like everyone they run into along the journey is like ugh, before the devourer things used to be so beautiful here and now it's like you know, it's not like it was a perfect paradise, but like it was definitely a lot nicer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, insofar as like hot lady with a bone helmet vibes, she was a cool villain. And there was like this whole thing where she's like she goes into like withdrawal um, because she can only feed off of the Tree of Souls at every equinox. So like 
the closer you get to the equinox, like the more unhinged she becomes because she's like having withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What did you make of her as a villain? I was like, okay, yeah. She, she was fine. I feel yeah. like she was every other character in the book. It was like, okay, she's there, you know? Like this book felt very like, um, you know, sometimes when the suspension of disbelief happens in a book that in you can't really buy in all the way because it's like every book starts with like an inciting event. Yeah. Right. And for this one, I was like, why didn't this happen like yesterday when the book wasn't happening? You know what I mean? Like, it's like it's like couldn't Rishi have gotten bullied any other day at school, too. Yep. Um, so that's what it felt like. And that's kind of what the characters felt like. I feel like that was the the main problem mm-hmm. that I had with the book. Is I was like, why didn't this happen earlier? Or what's right. so special about this day? Sometimes like that scene throws everything off for me a little bit. And yeah, the timeline wasn't. It didn't need to happen when it happened. Exactly. Um, and yeah, I think you're right that the characters. I think it's just like they were so underfleshed. I think Zara got some backstory in that there was like another Bruja who used to live in Los Lagos at the time when Zara was sort of becoming too much. And so we get some like snippets of information. I think her name is Katarina. Yeah. Um, and that was like interesting and cool, but like it, again, it, it didn't tell us anything that we didn't already know. And I just thought it would have been such a nice thing to like really humanize her, not give her a Nova style. There's a reason why I'm so horrid backstory but like just to really like give her something some motivation some something like even like i'm in love with a god and i've been rejected or like just anything and they're just like that much well that we get back i feel like the only character we get actual legitimate backstory on is madra (laughs) i know madra because she's like i hate men because a man betrayed me Yes. Okay, so let's get into Madra and the Avianas. So the Avianas are hungry bird ladies (laughs) Um, who tried to rise up against the Devourer. They lost, and now they hide in the night caves. Um, They become friendly with Alex because she gives a hungry-looking bird, who is secretly an Aviana, um, bread. And they're so thankful that they rescue Alex and Nova from the saber tooth tiger monsters that yeah. are also like saber tooth snakes. Like they're like saber, saber skins or whatever. They yeah. yeah, yeah. Saber yeah. skins. Right. Right. So Madra is the leader of the Avianas and she's just a hot bird lady who knows what's up. She's been betrayed by a man, which is why she has sexism issues. Um, <laughs> I love her. Like she's just very level headed. But the thing about her is that like, that's it. She's been betrayed by a man, but she's level headed. <laughs> period like and i think it says a lot that when that goodreads review was like everyone but madra was flat and it's like madra was also kind of flat she was just relatively less flat than yeah. everyone else you know what yeah, i mean it's true um and then we've got augusto and the adas um so adas are fairies who also rose up against the devourer and lost augusto is their leader their little fawn king um hot hot man when he's projecting his little spell um and they're now when you're in sorcelled when you're in sorcelled he's hot um and so because they lost against the devourer um (laughs) the adas who are also called and i hate this deeply meadowkin um i just like (laughs) 
I don't know the timeline for when it became like Tumblr chic to be like, I'm catkin. I'm dragonkin. Yeah. Like, I don't know when that started. Um, Definitely pre-2016. So. Great. So, right. It's like, maybe don't do that. But anyway, meadowkin. So yeah. they're all literally chained to this meadow. Um, and they have this really cool thing where they like ensorcel the group. It's Rishi, Nova, and Alex at this point. They get like sucked into eating all the gross food um, and like partying with the Adas. Which is very Alice in Wonderland. Oh, totally. Right. It's, yeah. So it's like, it's a good scene. And one thing that I thought was really successful in this book actually was like, I thought it was very cinematic in that like the whole time I was like, wow, this would make a really good movie. Yeah. Um, You know what I mean? Like there was a lot of like, like the visuals were good, but also like just the way that, Cordova described the feeling of being under a spell yeah. was like very compelling, very convincing. Like when Alex is like ensorcelled, she is like, I, I need to tell Nova something. And then she gets over there and she's like, I can't remember what it was. Like everything's starting to yeah. go hazy and out of focus. Like that was a really successful scene for me. Like I, I was having I agree. a good time. Yeah. Yeah. And she gets like little flashes of people trying to call to her and like, yes, the yes. little flashes of memory and like flashes of, uh, of bad thing. Like she sees mm-hmm. flashes of the negative things that are happening around her. Yeah. Yes. No, yeah. I, I agree. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, okay. And then in terms of like who else we see in Los Lagos, those are like the big yeah. <laughs> Los Lagos natives. Uh, the people who born and bred in Los Lagos, right? Yeah. But then we've got um, a couple of people who are there because of various other reasons. Um, obviously, everyone who is trapped in the sea of, uh, in the Tree of Souls um, are people who were at Alex's um, death day party um, and her ancestors and her ancestors. So we have right. That's the thing. Is like. People who were at her death day party include both the living and the dead. Like everyone got sucked into the portal. And so my favorite one of Alex's ancestors is the last Encantrix before Alex. And her name is Mama Juanita. And Mama Juanita is a no-nonsense motherfucker with, uh, I think she has a cane, but she also has, that she uses to whack Alex when Alex is being kind of a dork. And then she also has a cigar always hanging out of her mouth. Um, And I love her. She's great. She appears to Alex um, in the pond when she's naked and we're just about to have the whole like nudity scene. Um, And like gives a really good pep talk and is like, I've been trying to get to you. Like I didn't leave you alone. Like this is hard. You can do it. Blah, blah, blah. Um, But yeah, I just love her. I think she's like a wonderful, um, matriarch figure for the whole fam and then the last like important member of alex's family that's in los lagos besides all the people she has to rescue from the devourer is aunt rosaria so aunt rosaria we talked about this in the plot summary um alex witnesses the mourning ceremony for her after she died unexpectedly and before her time we'll get back into that um but she interrupted the circle and then rosaria's spirit disappeared and never appeared again um rosaria appears to alejandra throughout the book um just in like various 
moments that are like kind of scary and or not. Um, but she was ultimately put in Los Lagos by the Dios because she died before her time. So they're like, we still have plans for you. You died too soon on like the earthly realm, but you still have like, there's time for you to do more. So in her afterlife, she was put in Los Lagos. But the trick is that the Dios put her locked up in the labyrinth in a cage that can only be opened by her family, by like blood. And so Alex frees her. Um, and then when once she's freed, she gives Alex her powers. And then uh, when the devourer is defeated, when everyone sort of like comes up and has their little Narnia moment, um, Rosaria becomes like the white witch, not in the Narnia kind, but like the good witch kind. <laughs> yeah. She becomes like the good witch of Los Lagos and sort of like starts restoring everything to like the way it should be very mother nature style, very like, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like Aunt yeah. Rosaria would unabashedly say like, love is love, you know, like yeah. she's very cute. Um, love, love will conquer. Exactly. <laughs> love wins. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> love will conquer us all. Um, but she was like, she had a good backstory. Um, but overall got very little screen time. So it's hard to say if she was like, yeah, that cool. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's who I have for characters. Did I miss anyone? Are you like... I don't think I don't think so. Okay. I think you got everybody. Great. Amazing. Okay. Okay. Well, so we've talked about it already, but did you like it? I had an okay time. I mean, like, Me too. I... Right. Like, I definitely was not like, oh my God, I'm going to be thinking about this forever. Like, it was just like, yeah, I read it in a day and it was... Yeah a perfectly fine day. Like, I don't feel like I wasted my time. Right. Like I'm not like, Ugh, I wish I never had to read that. Um, which, you know, I've done for the pod before. And this was not that, um, we don't need to talk about it. We don't need to talk about it, but it was definitely not like one of my favorite books of the year. Like it was just a solid time, you know? I, I agree. I feel like what I, I enjoyed my time reading it. It was a good push through a reading slump book because you were like, brain is not really on all mm-hmm. the way to have to read this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really felt that I am not the target audience for this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of YA out there that's like a crossover YA, like YA to adult, or it's classified as YA just because the characters are teens teenage but the themes the content the writing style everything is very like adult um but the writing style and there's nothing wrong with that but the writing style the themes the content i feel like we're very tried and true ya like this to me is like okay this is a pure ya book which is great um but that's what i just kept feeling the whole time i was like i am not the target audience Mm mm-hmm for this book at all. I would even you know? argue that it's like, rather than being like new adult, I would say that it's like a, a cross between like new teen, maybe like a cross between yeah. middle grade and YA. Like it's, yeah, you know what I mean? Just because of the, the pacing and the plot focusedness of it. I think it was like, yeah, it was pretty young, which is like, again, not bad. But it just definitely like, like an eleven year old could read the book, you yeah, know, and be fine. You know, like oh, yeah, an yeah. early an early middle schooler could absolutely read the book, or a late elementary school because they would not pick up on the horniness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or I mean, they would, 
depending on the age, but you know, right? Like, but ultimately, there's like one kiss. Yeah, you know? exa- exactly. Um, so yeah, so I feel feel like that was my main feeling. I was like, wow, that was cute. Right. <laughs> you know, it was yeah, cute. Yeah. That's wow, that was like, cute. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't even mean that to be like demeaning to the mm-hmm. book itself because i feel like if i were an 11 year old i or a 12 year old i would have been like that book was amazing you yeah, know like yeah. i would have been all in i would have loved it but i'm 27 so i think that that really changes things totally um for me personally but yeah i had a good time reading it yeah absolutely yeah um who was your favorite character i had such a hard question time answering this question i don't know i guess rishi maybe like i liked the idea of her <laughs> the co- the concept of her being there i really liked i liked madra um i kind of really liked lula i was like i like that she's just like cool older sister <laughs> yeah so i don't know what do you think who's yours you named my top three i think my underrated hit of the book is Lula. And I'm really excited that the second book is about her explicitly. Like I, again, like just love the idea of like Lula's girly coven, like Lula's yeah. girly circle. Like I was like, Oh shit, that's cool. Like Maybe I Lula's stuff gives us a little bit more of that, like slightly older YA. Right. Yeah. That's also true. Um, but in terms of like from the main characters, I loved Rishi the most. Not so much because of, like, any characterization that she had, but just, like, of what she represented, you know? Yeah. 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 I was with her on that. So, And she was kind of, like, the good friend that's, like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, I know something's up with you. I Mm -hmm. can also use my brain and my eyes. Like, that that character that's, like, takes you out of yourself. Yes. And is... Like the kind of like the PETA character, like you said earlier. Like that character who's like, I can see what's going on even if you're not trying to show me. Right. Um, so yeah, I definitely liked that. I liked at the end of the book where Alex is confessing to her mom that she loves Rishi and then Rishi's like they're in Rishi's hospital room where yeah. she's supposedly asleep. And then Rishi's like, Wow, if I knew you were gonna say you loved me, I would have woken up a lot <laughs> earlier. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was very cute. You're so right. Yeah. I liked that. I was like classic bit rishi yeah <laughs> no that was good yeah she's um, like funny yeah, yeah 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 okay and was your least favorite character nova <laughs> yes obviously i mean like also like one thing that like we kind of buried in that long ass plot summary is that like nova at the end of the book gets the last word like he gets the big reveal because he finds somehow Alex's dad and brings him back home. And um, that was fucking annoying um, because I'm just not interested in redeeming Nova. I just don't care. Like, I I couldn't bring myself to care about him at all, really. Like, maybe like a, a, a an iota. But like everyone else, I was like, I care if you make it. And Nova, I was like, meh. Like, when... He says at the end, he's like, I'm going to stay in Los Lagos and like repent for my crimes or whatever. I was like, good. And then <laughs> and then Alex like saves him anyway. And I was like, oh, God damn it. Like, I just like, yeah, I wasn't convinced to care about him really at all. Yeah. I mean, what do you think is going to happen 
with that whole situation? Like, do you think, like, jumping to the romance stuff now, do you think in the few, the other two books, like, I knew, I know the next one's about Lula, but do you think in the other books it's going to be like, let's redeem Nova and Nova and Alex? Like, what's going to happen oh. there? Because they were setting it up so much. Like, it was being set up that I felt like we were going to do the, like, romance trope, something's come between us situation. Yep. With Rishi and Alex and Nova, mm-hmm. but the next book's about Lula, so I don't, I don't know. I have fear that Nova and Lula will end up together. Yeah, I have scary about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. and then cause problems between yeah her and Alex. Ugh, that doesn't sound. Uh, I know, I know. <laughs> um, we can look up a plot summary later, but that's sort of yeah. my deepest fear. Um, yeah. Did you have other things about the romance that you... No, that was pretty much uh, okay. it. Okay. That was pretty much it. All right. Um, yeah. The other, the other interesting stuff, I guess, is like... There's not a whole lot to say about it, but we can obviously see from the plot that it's very much... Um, again, like we talked about with the Hunger Games, back to Theseus and the Minotaur, mm-hmm. with his... The labyrinth, the Minotaur's labyrinth, Mount Olympus is mentioned multiple times in the in the book, or like the Greek gods are mentioned multiple times. Mm-hmm. So of course Theseus has to go and fight the Minotaur that is taking tributes from the town to, you know, to leave them alone, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. So it seemed to have pretty heavy inspiration from that, but then mixing in. Um, a lot of Latin American mythology into it, which is fun. Um, if you're a mythology nerd, which I'm not, <laughs> but that's fun. Um, uh, and we see like, it's at the end, um, in the author's note, Cordova says Alex's ancestors came from Ecuador, Spain, Africa, Mexico, Africa, Mexico, and the Caribbean. Her magic is like Latin America, a combination of old world and new, which mm-hmm. I feel like definitely came through in the mythology of the world building mm-hmm. of the book. Um, especially like one of the main examples is the Duendes mm-hmm. um, because they come up in a ton of different cultures, uh, Spain, Latin America, Portugal, the Philippines, um, and pretty much all of them, they're imps or pixies or dwarfs, uh, fairies, and they're usually at least like a little nefarious <laughs> um, and varying levels of right. being nefarious. Um, so I feel like that really came through. Like I enjoyed that part. So definitely like that Goodreads review that was talking about Percy Jackson, like that definitely hit resonates yeah. in the book as well. Yeah. So. I mean, like, I think I would go so far as to say that like the mythology here was like, I don't know. The Percy Jackson world building had a lot of time also to like, there were a lot more books um, to get into it. But like, I would say that this is like a stronger and more interesting subject matter. Like, and I think Cordova was the person to write it. I think what's happening now, I don't know if you know about this, but Rick Riordan has a series, like a public, a publisher series now called Rick Riordan presents, which is, peak ally shit actually he like finds authors of color or from underrepresented groups in publishing and sponsors their book um so at the headline it'll say rick riordan presents but then it's like 
all these books about like children who like basically it follows the Percy Jackson formula of like chosen one um, mythology, like whatever. But like Tristan Strong is one of the um, is one of them. And Tristan Strong is about um, a young black boy who like finds. Oh, gosh, it's like a hammer. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Pitched as an MG American Gods, the book stars a seventh grade boy who accidentally creates a hold into the mid-pass, a world where ancient African gods clash with gods of African American legend. He must race to find Anasi the Weaver and repair the rip between before the iron monsters wreaking havoc in the mid-pass consume their world and ours. So cool. Because like the mid-pass is the middle passage. So we're dealing with like um just like amazing mythologies all over the place. Like it, whatever Rick Riordan presents is like a really cool publisher series. And I think if this had been middle grade, it would have been like the perfect pitch for a Rick Riordan presents book. Um, like I wish I could be like, this is better than that. Um, but for me, it's like, no, it, it fits right in. Like I, in, in a sense though, I do think it was ahead of its time. Um, and like a much needed book for the year, a much needed book for that moment. Um, and so I appreciated it for that for sure. And I, yeah, I, I enjoyed the mythology elements of the book a lot. I like sent me down a couple of Wikipedia rabbit holes of like, what is a Twente? Like what, you know what I mean? Like who are these people? Like I took it upon myself, like the book itself doesn't have a lot of like, intel about what these things are you just sort of get it from context but like if you take it upon yourself to do a little googling um if these are things that are not familiar to you it's interesting it's like cool um so yeah that's what i that's what i have to say about that um is there anything in the book that we didn't talk about that you like loved or didn't like um my my right now my reading dislike for all books not just this book is the word undulate it is in like almost every single fucking book i read and i'm sick of it um i think it's undulate i am sick of that word in everything ever like especially audiobooks there was a lot of undulating in this book i don't know there's a lot of undulating in a lot of books and I'm like, all right, let's take, I feel like it's like become a word that's very in vogue. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, can we, can we move on from it Yeah. already? Cause I think the first time I heard it, I was like, what does that mean? And I looked it up right. and then I was oh, like, oh shit, it's I'm everywhere. Like, okay. Yeah. It's everywhere. We get it. You're undulating. <laughs> You're undulating. The waves are always fucking undulating. Yeah. Like that's what it is. Yeah. So. Um, Read more romance books. They undulate against each other. It's awful. Uh, <laughs> yeah so that's that's my dislike what about you anything else that we didn't cover um we talked about the cinematicness of it that i really liked um and i think that's honestly that was my one thing that i was like oh this is sick actually like i there was nothing i hated about it i was not like fuck this about any particular part I agree. I will say, I guess, well, as an added like, is that I think that for a younger age group, this would be a really fun way to expose them to different mythologies or um, stories like Alice in Wonderland. We got that in there. 
So I definitely think like this is a good way like if you are younger or like if a person's younger to present like and tie in other themes like it would be like a good literary stepping stone to like tie in other things that you might read in your life um which is nice yeah i mean especially since it's geared to a younger age yeah and i do think right like right there are two possible purposes for this as is the case with every you know young adult story about like an underrepresented group in young adult literature that like it can either serve as like what is that phrase there's a like a librarian phase uh phrase like sliding glass door that like some books children will see reflections of themselves in the glass of a book they will like see themselves and feel represented and for other children they won't see that same reflection, but they will be able to open the door and step in and have a deeper understanding of other other people. And so I think this is a perfect sliding glass door book. Um, that is the right word. Thank you. Great. Um, who came up with that phrase? Because she's very important. Um, uh, so Rudine Sims Bishop. Rudine Sims book. Bishops. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, mirrors, windows, and sliding glass doors. Mm-hmm. Books are mirrors when readers see their own lives reflected in the pages. Books are windows when they allow a reader readers a view of lives and stories that are different from their own books. Books become sliding glass doors when readers feel transported into the world of the story and when they feel empathy for the characters. Yeah. So, I really appreciated that about this book. Um, so, right, like it is simultaneously like a learning opportunity for some children, a reflective story for some other children. Um, and that's really important. Um, and I would say like, you know, we're going to get into the reader's advisory segment in a minute, but like, if you have a kid that is like, I've read all of Percy Jackson, what do I read next? Which is a real thing that happened to me about two weeks ago. Either, (laughs) If they're in early high school, give them this. Or yeah. if they're still in middle school, give them Rick Riordan Presents. Like, give them something else that, like, has that same flavor, but is about yeah. someone who isn't Percy Jackson. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you going to read the other two books in this series? I don't know. I don't know. I might do it for Lula. I know. I might. I'm like going back and forth. We'll see. I'm gonna go to the library tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So whatever, whatever takes over my spirit when I'm in the library. We can't be held accountable to that demon. That's for sure. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. the devil on my shoulder that appears when I'm in the library is like, he's not taking feedback. <laughs> what are you reading now, though? Okay. So I just finished yesterday. I just finished The Age of Innocence by Edith Wharton. And it fucking rocked. <gasps> if you if you want a romance story that makes you like want to claw your eyes out, that's the perfect book for you. Like absolutely perfect. I loved it so much. Full of yearning and the biggest dumbass I've ever met in my life as a main character. It was so good. So good. Um also, though, the Martin Scorsese movie is amazing. So I finished that. And then today, from the Lucky Day collection mm-hmm. at the library, I got um, The Only One Left Ooh. by Riley... Sager. My, Sager, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, that's 
That's their name. Um, so yeah, I just started reading that yesterday. Um, it's going fast. It's going fast because I have to return it um, in two right. days. So it's time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you gotta go. <laughs> I'm I'm going through it as fast as possible. I will say that while you were talking, I borrowed the Age of Innocence from Libby. So yes, you did because you sold me. Oh. I love a period romance, and I especially it, love when a period w- romance was written closer to the period. Yes, so Edith, and, and Edith Wharton won the first ever Pulitzer Prize won by a woman for that book in 1921. Sexy. I love that. Yeah, and she has the same birthday as me. Ooh, so Kindred spirits. Which is, I, when we were talking about the reading slump, um, I watched the Age of Innocence movie, mm-hmm. and then I was like, this is amazing. It's a book, too. I'm going to read the book. So sometimes the, the, and then I had other books checked out from the library and I just returned them because I was like, I just want to read this book. So sometimes the movie brings you that, that little interest, you know? So what are you reading right well, now? Well, I just finished, I'm in my gay romance era. I just finished, mm. dear readers, dear listeners, judge me not lest you be judged. Okay. I just listened to Lord of Eternal Night, um, which is about, um, a vampire falling in love with his sacrifice, who's also a boy. Um, (laughs) uh, Don't listen to the audiobook. The audiobook was bad, but it was, it is what it was. Um, Then I read, I just finished like yesterday, A Strange and Stubborn Endurance by Foz Meadows, um, which is an arranged marriage fantasy um, that was actually quite good with a lot of great world building. And then I'm just about to finish up Iron Widow which is all over TikTok. This is like the TikTok book of the year. Oh, I've seen I've seen this book before yeah. and I've seen the author pop up yes. on TikTok before. Right, right, right. They're on TikTok. Their name is Jiron J Zhao and they're very cool. One of the things that was really interesting that I was like listening to this book at the same time that I was reading Labyrinth Lost, not in the exact same moment, but they like overlapped in terms of reading timetable is that Iron Widow is a book that has explicitly, Zhao has explicitly rejected the love triangle and has been like, they are polyamorous. They're all in love with each other. Fuck you. Um, Which I think is like really fab um, and was really interesting because for a hot second, because of the weird way that Cordova did the romance triangle in Labyrinth Lost. I was like, are they all going to end up together? Like, that's what I thought was going to happen because then you could get Rishi and Nova from enemy to lovers. Mm-hmm. So, if you were hoping that would happen, might I recommend this adult fantasy slash sci-fi novel, Iron Widow? Um, I think it's it's good. Um, but yeah, that's sort of a update on what I'm reading. Oh, I'm also reading um, Men Who Hate Women by Laura Bates, which is about incel culture. I'll let you know how that goes. I'm looking at Iron Window BPL right now. (laughs) (laughs) Where'd you get your book, babe? Okay. Listen here. (gasps) All right. I need to know what happens when you check out three different copies of the same book from the library. (laughs) I think you get two points. (laughs) 
because I had the ebook, but I really wanted the physical book. So I put it on hold, but then I went to another branch of the library and they already had it in that yep. branch. So I checked that out and then I had to go because you can't like cancel the holds once they're already in transit or anything. Mm-hmm. So I had to go check out the other one because I was like, well, I made them get it for me. Let me at least give the circ point. Give so, them the points. So yes. Three copies, ebook, one hardcover, one softcover. <laughs> I think if you check out two or more copies of the book, you should get two points. Um, it does pain me because it does put you in the lead, but I, I'm telling you, as as a Cirque librarian, that is beautiful of you <laughs> that you did that, and I'm giving you the full two. Um, I only get one point because I did just check out the ebook. So, okay, that sounds good because um, uh, I, I'm telling you that I'm gonna. The, some of the books that we have on for the next mm-hmm. the next three books that we're reading I you already know. have copies I yeah okay <laughs> okay good so we'll so, give you this nice early lead yes, to start yeah exactly exactly um okay great cool we've already Amazing. talked a little bit about um reader's advisory when it comes to this but aside from rick riordan presents what would you recommend for people who loved this book? Um, so for a little older YA book, I would recommend A Blade So Black by L.L. McKinney. Um, that one is if you really liked um, uh, the Alice in Wonderland themes. Uh, that one is a distinct rewrite, uh, like fantasy rewrite of Alice in Wonderla- Wonderland. Um uh, where you there's going through the rabbit hole. There's like those weird mystical worlds. Um, that one is good. I read it a couple of years ago. It's kind of a, like a fun YA book. Um, the themes are a little darker. Um, it's a little more. It's a little older. I would say. Um, and then I see that you have reiterated this recommendation i, I was mean, the, so pissed when you put it in there before uh, me the first one that came to mind of course was cemetery boys by aiden thomas because then we've got brujos and um we have the same similar like kind of dark morally gray characters betrayal and queer teens and we also trans get, teens yes yeah queer trans teens and ghost loving teens so mm-hmm. that one i would definitely if you like really enjoyed this one um it doesn't have this one definitely more character development in cemetery yeah. boys i would call that one like a pretty one-to-one yeah like exact match like if somebody is like i loved everything about this book what can i have next this is yes. the book that you give them yes. it's like the exact I, yeah i i absolutely agree um yes and then if you were an adult who was like, I liked parts of this book, I liked monsters, I liked other worlds, but I it wasn't scary enough for me, and yeah, and it was too YA for me, I would say The Hollow Places by T. Kingfisher, because <laughs> um, it's a scary hidden place with monsters and like a pocket dimension. Um, yeah. Dude. Did you read The Hollow Places because I yelled at you about it? Yeah, you told yeah. you you recommended that book to me. Okay. This The Hollow Places by T. Kingfisher. Nothing Kingfisher has written since has hit me the way that The Hollow Places have. I still have an innate fear of river otters because of this book. Like, I was kind of surprised to see it here, but I think you're right that if you're like, I liked this, but like I can get into horror and I'm a grown-up. Yeah. Ooh, like it is so 
horrifying. It was one of those books that I don't know about you, but I was like, I need to put this down. I made Win not let me read it before bed. Yeah. Like I was like, I can't like it is if nothing else, like it's a great book. Like just yeah. read it. It's, it was really good. Um I have a couple. I was pissed that you took Cemetery Boys from me because I Sorry. Wanted it, but also you're right that like it was the first one that yeah. you think of. It's like exactly <laughs> I assumed the same. That both of us would do it, so yeah. just put it on there. Perfect. Um I would recommend maybe The Lost Dreamer by Liz Huerta. Um it's a YA sci-fi fantasy, also from a Lat- uh, Latinx author, and it's about family and betrayal. Um it's really good. It's also YA, but it's definitely a little bit older YA. Um and then to be honest, like not to recommend a white boy but you might consider neil gaiman for Coraline or the ocean at the end of the lane both of which have to do with children going into other worlds dealing with family problems and um sort of like fighting their way out adventure style through like alternate universes um pretty good pretty good stuff uh the ocean at the end of the lane specifically has like a very intense fairy tale vibe um that sort of like lines up with the mythology vibe in uh, Labyrinth Lost. Um, And also both of those are middle grade, um, which I thought, yeah. What? Coraline. um, I read that book when I was like nine and I had nightmares for the next four years about it. Literally Um, too whittle. You were too whittle for it. Nine is too young. It was, uh, to this day, I think about it because the last page of that book Spoilers for Coraline, okay, everyone? <laughs> the last page of that book is a picture of the other mother's hand crawling after getting closed in the door. I slept with like an erected pillow fort of stuffed animals for years protecting me from the open the, the door from the door because I was convinced the hand was coming crawling for me. I <laughs> Neil Gaiman, I didn't read another Neil Gaiman book for 19 years after that. Mm-hmm. Like he or like 15 years mm-hmm. that that book yeah. fucked me up. I barely made it through the movie. Like that's Coraline is like my, my book enemy, I have to say. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Well, this also, I can't believe I didn't put it in. Coraline and the Ocean at the End of the Lane. If you're nine, don't read Coraline. Wait until you're 13. The Ocean at the End of the Lane, you can read whenever. But if you're an adult and you're not looking to go younger than this, but would rather go up, someone in the book jacket recommended this. American Gods by Neil Gaiman is also incredibly good. That that motherfucker is long, but... It's intensely good and is a really good, um, if you liked the mythology in this, you'll like American Gods in that it was like a really awesome, like, take on how spirituality works and like all that good stuff. Anyway, I just thought it was great. Um, But yeah, so I think honestly, that's our, that's our pod. Those are our recs. Okay, so in... Two weeks, we're gonna be reading *Fledgling* by Octavia Butler. Ow, ow! Um, and for social media, you can find us at 
at shelving cart on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Tumblr, and TikTok. And our email is shelvingcart at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to Shelving Cart. Shelving Cart was created, written, and recorded by Sarah and Teddy, edited by Sarah, and the theme music is by Kate Gardine. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please rate and review us on any of your podcast listening apps. We greatly appreciate it.